Welcome to The Voice of Retail. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc. This podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Retail Council of Canada. Carl Boutte, welcome back to The Voice of Retail podcast. How are you, my friend? Michael LeBlanc, nice seeing you in person, like the good old days. This is exciting at an event, not to, not to say. I mean, I, this is yeah. uh, quite honestly a little overwhelming, but I, I'll, I'll do my best to adjust. Well, thank you for joining me. I'm, we're live here at the Seattle Food Innovation Show in the uh, food the actually we're in the food professor podcast studio that we built here but uh, today we're talking for the voice of retail you look good man i mean it's good to see you it's good to see you in person not just on the screen and i'm wearing pants because most of the time what you don't know when we've had our previous conversations i was probably in my basement in my underwear but uh, probably too much information and uh, thank you to sylvain for uh, making this uh, beautiful space available Uh, tell him the check is in the mail very good. I will do so. I will do so. So it, it's my first time to Montreal uh, since uh, COVID. Uh, not my first conference. I was at Shop Talk in Vegas. You and I were talking off mic about that. Yeah. 10,000 attendees, one mask. That was me. Uh, 10,000 to one ratio. I got to like that. It is. It's a bit overwhelming. I mean, we were all saying Steve. I was there with Steve Dennis, of course. And we were Steve saying. Steve Steve Dennis, one of the amigos, one of the three oh, amigos. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I think I've heard of the guy somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Bifurcation, I think. Someone, uh, who is it? The yeah, yeah, yeah. Jason and Scott he's Show. Always, he's always split in two. I got it. Right. <laughs> the Jason and Scott Show called him Mr. Bifurcation uh, last episode, which we all had a good laugh at. Sounds, sounds like an intestinal disease, but other than that, it's all good. <laughs> I love Steve. Uh, well, listen, uh, let's jump right in. So for those who may not have heard our previous discussions, tell us a quick little bit about yourself and then let's catch up. Carl Boutet, I am uh, a retail strategist who's part-time, uh, I can say professor now, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know, the last contract I saw seemed to say it was some sort of adjunct something or other, uh, and uh, advisor, and uh, yeah, just somebody who loves to jam with you whenever the opportunity presents. Now, you and I met, you were at, uh, we met through Retail Council of Canada. Yeah. Um, you weren't in the education space yet. So talk all about that. You're with the McGill School, right? So I'm actually with two schools. It did launch with McGill, and I'm still very much with McGill. Uh, the original um, sort of first contact was around the Ben Sedun School of Retail Management. When that was announced, mm-hmm. a press release came out. I was The next day was in the office of the academic director, uh, Professor Saibal Ray, and saying, how can I support this? Because our industry desperately needs uh, some, you know, this, this more formal, sort of structured, rigorous uh, support. And I'd been looking at that, I've been shopping for a couple of years, quite honestly, to, uh, to do a retail lab here in Montreal. And in the press release, there was this one sentence that said, and uh, eventually there will be an innovation center. So I offered to Professor Ray, said, listen, anything I can do, I've been researching the heck out of innovation centers in retail around the world. Right. Uh, they come in many shapes and forms, but I'd love to see Miguel's would clearly be a really interesting w- extension of that. So that's where the relationship started, evolved into uh, becoming an advisor for the uh, what they call the Retail Innovation Lab now. And, uh, and that's, and, uh, and, and is it uh, Kushtards who's yeah. involved in that? Yeah, so, so it evolved into becoming basically a frictionless, well, one portion of it is a frictionless Kushtar experience, the first actually frictionless store in Canada, uh, which is like a fully autonomous, you know, Amazon Go-esque, mm. Go-esque sort of experience, scan your app, walk in, grab what you want, walk out. Um, so it's a good location and it's open to the public. So anybody can go on Sherbrooke Street in the Bronfman building and try that experience. All you need is the uh, is to make is sure the app, right? is the app, which you can you know, mm-hmm. obviously on site put on. 
Um, yeah, so that's how that sort of that's what it's evolved to. There's a couple of other things happening in and around that as well, and it's still evolving. And I also began teaching at the beginning of the pandemic uh, marketing at the Executive Institute. And super stoked to be teaching in May, uh, Michael. I think you'll recognize this sort of being my sweet spot. But the first, as far as I'm aware, nobody's pushed back yet. And I'm pretty familiar with the space. But the first master's level class in uh, emerging technologies mm. and new business models in the retail school. Wow. So for the master's of retail program, it's a complimentary course that's being offered as an intensive in May. So it's going to be kind of a, a rough ride for that. But it's so stimulating and it's going to give me a chance to you know sort of share the stuff I'm most passionate about with uh, the master's students that are going to be a part of it. Well, let's let's continue down the professorial thing because you also are doing some stuff in Asia, right? Yeah. So actually along the line, so, so you know, we'll talk about, I'm sure come back to the great acceleration later, but so the, the launch of the acceleration for me was January 2020. I was chairing the ASEAN uh, Retail Summit, so Southeast Asia's Retail mm-hmm. Summit. I was asked to come and chair that. Uh, and you event- just you just got back from Cairo, from my recollection, right? Uh, Cairo just- was actually in 2019. I was in Cairo that summer before, which was, yeah, definitely... Uh, part of a world tour, but the, uh, this, this, this Asian Institute of Technology or this opportunity to teach in Asia came from being in Bangkok for this ASEAN summit um, mm. in January 2020. Uh, early January 2020 and was introduced to the dean of the business school there and we'd mentioned that he, he said you know I was talking about the work I was doing with McGill at that point and he's like I'd love to if you, if you come and teach maybe a marketing course mm. uh, for us and I'm actually going back in June this is the first time I'm doing it in person because I began with them uh, that spring teaching online at their MBA right. level right. Uh, and it was an amazing amazing experience um, but yeah, that was the reason why I said launch of the Great Acceleration there is because on the way back from that trip, I stopped in Shanghai mm. and was literally like T minus one week in front of yeah, Wuhan. Yeah. Uh, obviously, without really knowing that's what was going on, but uh, and then we're and they're back at it again, Shanghai today as we speak. We're here in mid uh, April. This zero tolerance policy is it's just crazy. causing it's crazy. chaos both for the people there and and yeah. supply chain. And and do you think you know? I, I one retailer said to me, and there's been this kind of narrative going around that that's, it's the end of globalization as we knew it, mm-hmm. um, which always seems to me to a pretty extreme position to take in any in, as we knew it. But it does feel, even talking to retailers here, yeah. you know, they're like, it's so unpredictable and it's so far away and we're not out of COVID yet. And sh- maybe we should be sourcing closer to home and... and what do you think? Are you hearing Absolutely, the same thing? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely hearing the same thing. I think there's two sort of parallels happening here. The first one is I think it's the idea that we became over-optimized. And, you know, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a big fan of data and, and yeah. always trying to find, you know, the optimal uh, sort of outcomes. But the reality is... Roger we, Martin talked about that in his book, right? The, the Yeah, he got it all from me. But anyways, <laughs> kidding. Um, the... <clears throat> the idea that we were just like we got it down to such a, a specific way of doing one thing that it had to come from one place and come here in one specific manner isn't resilient at a very specific time right yeah. like right yeah. right to the day so or whatever yeah. so a boat you know my my analogy on this a boat goes sideways in the Suez and you're you're screwed right supply chain went sideways yeah, yeah exactly. so and we seem to not totally have learned from that because I have friends. Um, or, or people that I know that are, you know, in Europe who, uh, and I think this is going to affect us in North America as well, but, you know, they rerouted their, to, to rail over Russia. Mm. How much of a good idea is that right now? 
So, I mean, without getting too geopolitical, so the idea is we need resilience. Yeah. We need to yeah. sort of create, you know, plan A, B, C, D, and not just be uh, have empty shelves because the boat went sideways in the Suez or because mm. our rail car is stuck somewhere between a border with Russia and whatever. So, uh, so that's the first awakening. The second thing that I'm hearing about, Michael, and I'd be curious to get your feedback if you're hearing as well, is I'm hearing some really big retail names, think the biggest in North America, that are putting a lot of pressure on their suppliers to get out of China. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For yeah. several reasons, including the ones we just we just named and, and maybe beyond. And, and not yeah. to get too... Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, catastrophe uh, scenarios. I think the idea is again, these large retailers are saying, "Listen, we need you to shift your manufacturing away from these areas that we have less control over." Yeah. Uh, and I'm hearing again that at the highest level in, in a lot of different segments, and they're saying, and so you're seeing a lot of movement towards Latin America, which I have some uh, mm-hmm. some you know presence there and I got to think Mexico parts. Mexico would be a big winner you well get. that's Galloway's thing our friend Scott right he, he's yeah. been he's been very bullish on Mexico but I can tell you uh, in textile you're looking at places like Peru and right. Chile right. Um, mm-hmm. in tech you're looking at places like Colombia and Brazil that are you know much more advanced than we give them credit for yeah. I was just in Colombia my only international travel uh, the last two years was being in, in, invited to an event in Colombia in, in the fall the startup ecosystem is is crazy there so, yes, I think the idea is we need to sort of, we kind of got a little too focused on specific parts of Asia. There are mm-hmm. always going to be parts. So I think the end of globalization, I think, is a bit of a push. But I think the idea of being overly dependent on one mm-hmm. form of globalization is definitely not a good idea. You've talked about the acceleration. You mentioned it a couple of times. You put a book out about this time last year, mm-hmm. if I get the date right. You're close. Uh, You're so close. it's a great book. I think I had you on the podcast uh, that time talking about uh, yeah. the great acceleration. So, all right, let's talk about the great acceleration. You know, the book was issued a year ago. You probably wrote it a year and a half ago. Looking back, and this is the same question I asked Scott Galloway. You mentioned Scott, who says hi, by the way, when I was talking <laughs> I, to him. He I said, I know, yeah, I know. That, that guy, Carl and Miguel. That, yeah. that guy, Carl and Miguel. Um, you know, Steve Dennis, we talk about this, you know, if you had to go back and do it all over again, write a second edition, would you change anything? Times have changed. We've got inflation now. We've got some normalization. We've got the digital NATO vertical brands. Some of them are just collapsing around our feet. Yep. Would you, would you, would you, uh, if you did a revised edition, what would it look like? Well, first of all, I've actually already done two revised editions. (laughs) <laughs> because the nature, you, the, bo- the nature of the book is you, that it's COVID. a very digital uh, project, right. and uh, and it's rarely printed. I just did another reprint, but it's uh, so I, actually the edition, the reeditions are not so much around the content, the written content is mm-hmm. around the data, which is at the second half or second, the last third of the book, which is sort of tracking the data points around mm-hmm. mostly e-commerce, which is sort of counterintuitive because I, t- I tell people that it's not just about e-commerce, and I think that's the big lesson about the acceleration that it's missed is people tend to focus and I'm guilty of it obviously because I, I, I put these data points in my own book saying it's not just about e-commerce it's around digitizing the path to purchase I think is much more uh, a, a better way to look at it than um, than just e-commerce versus in-store which mm-hmm. I think is really missing the, the bigger and more important point as it, as it always has been I, yeah I think I think that's fair though to say and you know push back on the pushback you know Steve and I were talking about this that in Canada, we had a like the one of the world's biggest growths of e-commerce, seventy percent, right? Seventy percent year-over-year growth, 
And I, I would have to say, you know, when you look at our market, which traditionally has been behind, for example, the U.S. market, the U.K. market, mm-hmm. I do think we had... Some catching up? I think we had three to five years of growth. And, and, I, and I, I'm hearing that the waterline has not receded. So I think, like many things, uh, you know, the U.S., perhaps less so by the numbers, but Canada, I think we had a, big, a great acceleration in e-commerce. Again, you know, if we're just looking at e-commerce, we can we could debate out versus you know the categories. We're here at a food show. We know food had some serious catching up to do. Yep. And and the um, I was actually speaking yesterday at an event that was really very food centric as well. And and if you look at the investments that the people around that table were making, that they were planning, you know, they were already thinking 2025. We need to automate, uh, you know, door, uh, last mile, and we need to think about uh, changing our distribution centers to be able to better accommodate because what did we do with grocery stores? We turned them into distribu- you know, fulfillment centers, which mm-hmm. just don't work. I don't know about you, but mm-hmm. when I walk around my grocery store and I'm bumping into pickers all over the place, mm-hmm. it's not a good experience. The store wasn't designed for the picker, right? So uh, so we're having, the, you know, so these ideas, these investments, uh, you know, just to name names, you know, Metro uh, with have a $400 million project being going, you know, distribution center, automated distribution center that was pushed forward by a couple of years coming up just yeah. north of here in, in, uh, in Laval. You got you got uh, you have Voila, so is Voila, Voila IGA, now and IGA. In, uh, IGA that, was, right. that was my next example here on. Have the you tried? Have you tried it here? I've I've tried it uh, mm-hmm. at home because it's pretty new. It's pretty. Yeah, I mean, recent, right? and, and here's the thing: I tried it not in the be- not in the peak of the pandemic because it was three to four weeks to get the grocery delivery when when I probably wanted it the most. Hence, why all the uh, you know the, the the resource allocation shifted and, mm. and and said, okay, maybe we don't need to have thirty percent online grocery right now. But we know we saw what that sort of future looks like and how ill prepared we are for it for all the right reasons. I mean, I'm not mm. knocking leadership for not having better anticipated. Although, if you look at uh, a, a very interesting example in, in Steve's work. Uh, you know, down Wegmans, down in the Texas, they they mm. saw they saw the numbers they were preparing for, it, and mm-hmm. they they obviously benefited from it. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, that's the so the great acceleration. I still believe. I think is sort of we've had, you know, there's a lot of other greats. I don't know if you noticed that came along, and I still <laughs> I still claim my fame with the. You great are, you are. You are. Every time I say it, an angel gets its wings, man. Thank you. I think I do appreciate that, and it was thanks to Steve <laughs> as well because it was at his event, his, his first of, of many book launches that. Uh, we coined that with uh, with Scott and and Seth there as well, and uh, and I'm I listen I'm I'm you know I'm if anything I'm doubling down because I think it sort of is the master uh, concept because over the all the great resignation the great re, mm-hmm. re, you know re, not redistribution but reattribution all the greats that sort of are are all extensions of of what we were able, what we accelerated now your point about the waterline receding or not is, is 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 absolutely fair and we can look at the data in, in many different lights but I, I i still come back to this idea of a very primary sort of uh principle is is, is there anybody out there that thinks that we're going to be less digital uh, five years from now than we are now mm, that's fair and 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 the idea that this is going to push us more now it doesn't it doesn't remove the need for physical it actually for him, for me, it makes the need for physical that much more important, and that's also the other part that's often missed. They think you know the great acceleration is all about e-commerce adoption and and digital fulfillment, but it's really about how one makes the other stronger, mm. and that is the when the subtitle of the book is actually more important: the race to retail resilience. That mm. that race to resilience is all about building these muscle groups that make you as strong physically as they do digitally. Because we're not, I mean, I don't think I'm shocking anybody, and definitely not you, Michael, saying we're not over with these sort of major. Um, 
you know, headwinds that we're going to hit, yeah. be them, may, may they be public health, may they be geopolitical, may they be uh, uh, climate <laughs> related, which... Yeah, we, it's funny, we, we, we're a little bit like, you know, the distracted goldfish, right? It's COVID, and then it's... War. Russia and war, all of, both of which are terrible. Supply and, chain and a container that went up 10, 10, 10x. And, 10x. And, and, but then behind all of it is there's no vaccine for the environmental catastrophe that's headed our way. I mean, it's already, you know, the next 30 years are already planned out, so to speak, right? So yeah. we still have to figure that out. Let's, let's, let's move on. I want to talk about innovation. So you talked about the Innovation Lab. Mm-hmm. Um, my perception, I want to get your perception, was there wasn't a ton of innovation happening during COVID. Mostly retailers are either trying to survive yep. or trying to just get product on the shelf. Yep. There's some innovation behind the scenes. So I'm, I'm hoping... And, you know, retailers are telling me they're spending ca- a lot of capital, right? Yep. So that is a nice leading indicator that we're going to see a, a, a good long run, a couple of years of investment and innovation. So bringing you back to the Innovation Center, mm-hmm. at what point does that go get scaled? Like, it, it's now sitting in a, in a building. Yep. Uh, it's a lovely building yep. near McGill. Yep. At what point do they say it works and let's put it in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50? What, where, where, how do retailers figure out where to pull that trigger? Well, so, so I mean, first of all, they've already s- sort of scaled it in the U.S., not using the same uh, exact approach as they used at McGill, but uh, Circle K, which is what Kushtar is for the rest of the world outside of Quebec, <laughs> right. um, is, is, you know, in Arizona and elsewhere, they're... they're if you're going to be in convenience, then frictionless has to be part of convenience in some way, right? right. So they're, so they're, they're, they're. It's made for it. I mean, the Amazon Go store is made. It's a convenience store with fresh sandwiches, right? Well, and now even into grocery and other, and you know, either. Do you, you think that's a big like? If you think about about table stakes versus differentiators, yeah. Um, so frictionless more and more becomes a table stake. Well, at some level, yeah. but at, at the level of kind of shop, you know, buy and go or mm-hmm. one touch go, that becomes starts to become a differentiator. I think Amazon's betting in their bigger format grocery stores that that becomes the thing that makes them successful. I'm not sure I'm on board with that. I'm not sure people would go to a large format store for that purpose. Versus a, a Wegmans or an HEB or, yeah. you know, I mean, they got to pull somebody away from where they're shopping today. They got to have all the other things, right? Fresh food and great prices. Is it, is it enough? How do you see it? So right now there's a couple of, you know, it's, it's cost prohibitive. So the cost of the tech stack is, is not, the ROI is, it is unless you, you use a subsidized one like taking Amazon's because you, you can right. license their tech, which I wouldn't necessarily uh, recommend because who knows how... That, um, that didn't work out when they were licensing out with a web tech uh, for a few companies. Who was it? Uh, Target and, Target and, uh, and Toys, Toys R Us. Us yeah. yeah. So if you're going to say, okay, well, I'll, I'll just let Amazon handle this part for me, hasn't exactly aged well. Yeah. And, and one of the first that they did outside was Hudson News. If you remember, they did a yeah. couple of Hudson News uh, locations in airports. And lo and behold, they're starting to open up Amazon. Yeah, I think they just did the learn, <laughs> the, learn the airport business. So, anyway. you know, yeah, I, I, and, and who knows? Maybe, maybe it's just purely circumstantial. It's just coincidence. But, nice uh, but here's uh, the parallel I bring back whenever we talk about frictionless and the tech stack is think about the, 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 the way the taxi industry and this is really where mm. the comparison comes from. I think Amazon Go didn't come from the retail environment. It came from the taxi environment. The, mm. the Just Walk Out was created from, from a taxi, not from a store. 
and and when it's such Uber, an interesting perspective. So when Uber created, you know, when Uber created that experience, yeah, at the beginning it was very novel and and very limited. I remember the first time I took it was coming out of uh, uh, coming out, of, you know, New York, JFK or or, or, or LaGuardia or whatever. I forget which one, but you know, and it's funny because there's the there's the series right now, eh? What the the, uh, the Uber, uh, I forget what it's called on. On one of the uh, on one of the streaming services, but it, I, I lived that experience where we were a bunch of us st- staring at our phone screens in front of an airport for the first time. It was sort of freaky, mm. right? But then five years down the road, here I am jumping in a regular cab because I don't know the Uber's the delay was or what, I was in a market where it was an Uber, and then I walk, just walk out of the cab and the cab <laughs> honks at me going, "Where are you where are you going, buddy?" You know, like you, and I use I'm using a nice term and it was probably a little was less, rougher, a little rougher than more that. colorful, more colorful, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Language is more colorful. Where were you Where are you going? And I just like, oh my god, it's true. This isn't an Uber. Like I actually got to go back and fiddle with the credit card and and the terminal that's not getting the signal because I need a receipt for my expense yeah. account and and just being why isn't this all like that yeah. like how come this industry is is so i think i think convenience retail mm. and beyond i'm uh, there's a company a startup here in montreal called leave that i'm involved with mm. and uh you know they're using a much um a much uh, more accessible tech stack to even use it for like fashion retail and things like that where you know you don't necessarily want to have the big heavy computer vision uh, a shelf technology that works well in convenience and, and grocery which doesn't necessarily translate properly to uh, to fashion for instance they have a, they have a beta actually uh, running right now at Eaton Center at the Viennes mm. So it's just using your phone. The phone becomes sort of your. It replaces the whole tech stack. Mm. You just use the phone. It's 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 appless, whatever, and it allows you just to walk in, grab whatever Vian Rose thing you're interested in, and walk out basically. It's you know Walmart tried that in their um, Silas store. Sam's. Um, Sam's has got. It's interesting. I never. I it's. I don't generally look for the big box stores for that kind of innovation in digital. But I saw the 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 woman who's the leader of Sam's. She's quite impressive. Yeah. And Walmart tried the kind of. Just walk, not just walk out, but scan and go. And it wasn't adopted, no, but they're no. taking another run at it. I think it may have been too early. It, it definitely, and there's a lot of runs at it. My local metro had the the guns too. That you know, here, here's a scan mm-hmm. gun. I'm like, why do I need something else? I already have a phone that can do this. And and it was it was. Did new. you try the Sobeys uh, smart cart? No, I haven't tried that. Yet. Okay, I, 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 here, here's a quick perspective. If anybody from Sobeys listening, they know this, but the cart works fantastic. Like technically, it works fantastic. There's one problem four five words that at the end kill it Re- please return cart to store oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. right yeah so you get to the back of the parking lot and you got to walk all the way back to the store to relock your smart cart and you can see why yeah yeah, yeah. it's an expensive piece of hardware but that sort of takes away creates a lot of friction around uh, around the whole experience so mm-hmm. yeah I, I agree there's and but you know what hats off to Sobeys hats off to Walmart and, and swinging the bat right they're I mean, trying I think Target, the less, the less, Target's doing a great job the lesson now and, and uh, I know this wasn't in our talk track but even if you look at things like Metaverse and all that I mean mm-hmm. we, we, and we sort of roll our eyes and go oh here we go again on some other sort of you know Frivolous are you a meta thing. skeptic? Or are you are you a meta advocate? Or are you I, meta indifferent? Uh, no, Where are you no, on that no. spectrum? So I, I, yeah. Well, anyways, just to wrap up the, before we get into the whole meta thing, is the idea is the, you have to you have to swing. You have to you know the idea now that think about Walmart and they're like, okay, we're behind the times. We need to make a six billion dollar acquisition to pick up a thing called Jet to at least bring us thirty percent closer to the you know to where we and should be. And the talent that built it. And definitely the tyrant talent. Look at yesterday's announcement, Lululemon with Mirror, I think it was the same thing. Um, so 
to the metaverse question, uh, sort of a, a full, I think, uh, yeah, it's very early days. My, my, you know, you, <laughs> you and I were around to remember what 1995 internet looked like. Yeah. Could we have foreseen what 2022 internet would deliver yeah. based on a Lycos search uh, of 1995 box? Uh, we'd have a, we'd be really struggling to under, you know, understand where this could go. Did it go where we thought it would go? Was there a year 2000 where a bunch of uh, companies got taken to the woodshed? Um, absolutely, sure and I think we're going to see a lot of that as well. It'll be a year 2020, 2022 when they get taken. They're being taken to the woodshed well, now. So, yeah, I mean, who knows? It's still not, you know, it hasn't fully played out yet. But mm. uh, so, but I, again, I think the companies back to my jet analogy don't want to be seen you know they want to at least play around so I mean I roll my eyes sometimes when I see it's actually a Montreal based company Sandbox so I see Carrefour opening up in Sandbox and like what are like it's, it's, it seems like nothing it just seems like I don't know it's just a bad uh, a bad uh, Roblox experience but it was at least they're trying. They're there. They're, yeah. they're, they're sort of trying to wrap their head around what the possibilities are. What I'm really for, uh, Michael, and, and why I think the great, the ex- coming back to the acceleration mm-hmm. as well and, and encouraging businesses to, you know, I don't think it's a good time to sort of scale back your digital investment right. is I think you need to sort of step your foot mm-hmm. in this because we're not, metaverse or not, we're definitely headed towards a more immersive uh, 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 digital um, path to purchase. I think we're going to have more and more context. You know, it's 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 almost archaic. You know, I'm looking around our CL show here, Michael, and mm. I'm pretty sure the CL show 20 years ago looked pretty close to this. I, yeah, yeah, I'm sure carpet's not, the same. It, it's not, <laughs> and it's not a knock of CL. I mean, I'm just saying that. Think about everything, how everything else has evolved in that time. But it's and, funny, right? I, I, you mean the the chatter on the floor is I couldn't do what I do here virtually. Uh, yeah. Right, like the, so. So the the general the general. You still narrative. need this. You still need this, right. and that's my point. Is but you you could have a lot more context. The fact that I I roamed around here for twenty minutes before I could find you. <laughs> I mean, these are all things that and, and yeah. it's things we put up with, you know. But my kids are probably not going to put up. My, my kids probably would have pieced out. Yeah. You know, after five, saying this is ridiculous. Like when I'm when I'm in Fortnite, I'm able to find my way around a lot more <laughs> easier than when I'm when I'm roaming around Palais Great. des Congrès. So why can't I have at least mm. a sort of a a, a layer of that on top or mm. more context and and i found a good one in a good example next time you're in toronto lcbo just opened up a new flagship twenty four thousand mm-hmm. square feet yeah and the first impression i walked in there it's vast a sea of bottles i'm like i just want to find my and, and the problem is right so <laughs> the problem is finding the one i'm looking for okay um i thought you were going to say try them all but that's okay well you could work your way through it uh god knows i tried <laughs> So they had a store finder where you could actually type it in, yeah. and it would actually gray out where in the store you could find it. And I thought it's a nice, simple solution. It's beautiful, Absolutely. Yeah. right? It's it's it. And that you bring up a really good point. You know, with a lot of these technologies, we tend to overcomplicate mm. things till we get them. So we get them simplified again. Yeah. Um, I don't need to put an Oculus on to find no, the wine. No, Just no, show no. me on the. Key. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're not walking around with VR headsets any day soon. I mean, that's uh, that's that's a, you know. Yesterday in the presentation, I actually had a slide like that with a, a person in one of those sort of drivable carts with a VR headset on it and then with a big X saying, "This is not it." After having shown them a video that our friend Dave Marcotte and I started at NRF already, I guess, two or three years ago around the store of the future, and we're trying to figure out, we don't know what the hardware is going to look like. We just have an idea, we just have an idea what the software should do um, and, and data and all that fun stuff. So we're heading towards a world that is definitely more that, but not, it's more that. I mean, here's, here's a deep thought for you. It's more that, but it's not less this. Ah. 
That's so, which is really great mm. to sound a podcast because there, there's only audio and I'm pointing to things. <laughs> so it's just to basically say it's it's not it, it's going to be more digital, but it's not going to be less uh, less physical. Uh, so as I see our 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 our, our, our room host, I, uh, you know. Okay, we have to in. get him in. Have to get him in on the mic. No, no. When he gets a chance. Is there a doctor entering the house? Sure. So say, well, I don't know. Michael said you're the one paying me to be here, that I should be getting a check in the mail. Or, I know. I sorry. I had to send you a check. Well, Mike hasn't gotten my bill yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, we're joined by a very special guest, uh, hey. Sylvain Charlebois. Welcome to our Thanks. podcast studio. So, you know, how right. do you know Carl? So, Sylvain, this is a very important moment in, in podcast history. We, we're actually French Canadians outnumbering English Canadians on a podcast. Uh, I don't think that's very ever rare. That I don't think that's rare. ever happened that's before. True. Yeah, absolutely. We were just talking about, um, catching up, talking about in-store technology and and where it's going. And, uh, you know, it was Carl was saying how, uh, you know, when you look at the Couchetard pilot that's going on at Sherbrooke, you know, how do you scale that? And what does that look like in the future? And what are you hearing around technology yourself around the stores? You know, that difference between useful technology and just technology for technology's sake out there in the future that you still got to do a little bit yeah. of. You know, what's your perspective on that in the food business? Well, I mean, the food industry is known to be very traditional and, mm-hmm. and somewhat seen as anti-technology from the outside. Inside, when you talk to people, well, we're all about technology. We love technology. Well, not really. If it compromises traditions and mm-hmm. and, 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 and traffic, foot traffic... Hmm. Forever, I mean, foot traffic was a key metric for retail yeah. until Amazon uh, bought Whole Foods in 2017. That was a bit of a disruptive hmm. transaction, and that led a lot of companies to think about tr- clicks and collect. But there was no full commitment until COVID. I think COVID really just hmm. accelerated this uh, conversion. Uh, looking at technology inside and out, so mm. interacting with consumers, uh, and of course, operationally looking at automation or robotics. Yeah. Uh, you know, making burgers with robots mm-hmm. is not that cool anymore. It's a, it's a necessity almost because of labor issues. Labor issues, which is another thing we yeah. didn't talk about, is that you know not a short term labor issue for. You know, making your Starbucks coffee, right? You need those yeah. robots now more than ever, right? So, so that's why I'm hearing uh, and and uh, uh, on a uh, on the Food Professor podcast, we'll actually be uh, joined by Yannick Gervais, who's the president of Olimel. Yeah. And since a couple of strikes ago, <laughs> uh, they've been thinking about automation a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> no oh, doubt, yeah. and that's across the board in, in any industry right now. Anything, any any, any redundant task that can be automated out. I mean, there's the, the economic arguments to do so are, are pretty strong, compelling. Are, yeah, pretty stronger compelling. and stronger. I mean, and that's from and I, from the first mile to the last mile. Yeah. I mean, that's really yeah. what's happening. Wherever they can automate the the, the, the non margin adding uh, experiences like checkout, which rarely add margin, except mm. for maybe some impulse buys, you know, that can happen at the very end. Yeah, and or not, I it's guess. not. There's a lot of retailers who just don't want to give up on full checkout. I mean, they think it's part of the experience, which is not untrue, but I don't know. Uh, I know I was I was sharing uh, something with my, uh, where, where the Go experience came from was from, you know, Uber. So how many people thought that pulling out their credit card and dealing with a terminal as they ended their taxi ride was a value-add experience? Yeah. I think, you know, as we get into environments, you know, where we can shop and we could, if we could, if we're, if there's, if I have, if there's two ways for me to exit the store, one where I have to get in line and, and, and pay somebody to get out and there's another one where I don't, 
Well, if you got 50, I, suspect, I don't know. I if you got 50 things, you might make that different decision. But no, I no, but that's, that's self-checkout. That's different. That's different than what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. You're talking about scanning, you know, scanning your own stuff. And I agree. That's a, that's, a, that's like a stopgap measure right now because mm. the rest of the technology, the business case isn't strong enough. But when it's going to be at a point what the uh, Amazon Fresh is doing and all that, where I'm just walking around with my cart, taking an apple out of a bundle and throwing it in the cart, and it knows that I put an apple in my cart and I don't have anything else to do, yeah. That's you know that's going to be a pretty compelling argument. And this is uh, so I've been in Florida for five months now. And, that's why you uh, got the good the, time. The, se- mm, yeah. the self checkouts. Handsome man. They figured it out. And mm. so to Carl's point, I got to tell you, flawless, mm. flawless produce, mm. no problem. You just put it in the box. It's, it's everything is done for you. Mm. You do not want to see someone. You do not want to talk to someone because it's even more convenient. Saves you time, gets rid of the worst part of the grocery experience, which is the exit. Yeah. It really acts, and we're mm. talking, we're five people in our family in Tampa Bay, and we're talking 55, 60 items sometimes. No sure. problem. No problem. No problem. Huh? Yeah. So, and, and I don't think that Canadian grocers have actually uh, made it a priority to create this flawless, mm-hmm. uh, humanless experience when you exit the, the grocery store, I don't think. I was at uh, Walmart in uh, Mississauga doing a tour, and they, they actually had uh, two choices when you did self-checkout. Lots of stuff. I think they had a number, but they did bigger bunks, so they had lots of stuff for a few items. Right. So they actually rooted you, too. They had, you know, banks and banks of self-checkout, and lots of associates running around helping people. Like, it was... It was flawless but they did have that extra space if you had more than but you still had to scan it yourself right again that's it's a stopgap i mean the roi i I was actually one of the surprising uh, things that happened during the pandemic was the amount of self-checkout i mean from dollarama to costco to Mm. canadian tire i mean everything was just really hard pivot but because the business case was so easy the tech Mm. is so cheap to do that that it pays for itself in six months and so you'd be crazy not to do it while you let the the rest of the technology catch up and it's also probably the the case uh, I get asked a lot less by media doesn't it take someone else's job well yeah, we don't have are. the people, so you're not taking anybody's job. <laughs> exactly, you're, you're filling a no, but job. It, but it's a but very important point because that was sort of the the, 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 pub, the public perception of mm-hmm. uh, a grocer doing that was like, oh, I'm, we're taking away, you know, this this 16 or 17 year old uh, job. The reality is, the 16 or 17 year old job has has 100 jobs available for them if they want mm-hmm. without having to be a cashier at a, yeah. a grocery store. Yeah, All right. absolutely. And of course, the profitability. What's different with food versus other sectors is is this, this malaise, the margins mm. that uh, does create a malaise with the public. Uh, you know, I've, I'm often asked, "Are grocers making too much money?" Mm. And so, so my response back to whoever's talking to me, I say, "Okay, so if you think that they're making too much money, what is enough?" Mm. What is the threshold here? Mm. Is it three percent? Is it four percent? What are you? What are we talking about here? And that's when you realize they haven't thought things through yet. Mm. Which goes back to how much you pay your employees, how many employees you need to operate a grocery store, and those are the kinds of conversations we need to have out in the open. I mean, it's such an interesting point because it still makes headlines when grocers executives get oh, bonuses. Yeah. It's like front, like why is that? front page news yeah but it still is oh yeah and it's also driving diversification so you know with Mm. this group i was with yesterday most of them now are acquiring pharmacies and health centers and everything else because they can build the average basket out beyond and and where i think where i think the 
the food industry, the grocery sector specifically has its chin out, is it's, it is the highest velocity and volume channel that you can brick everything on top of. So the Amazons of the world will use the whole category as a loss leader if they have to, mm, if, it just, yeah. if it just creates an opportunity to pile on the, the higher margin stuff around it. And Walmart's doing that with health. The flywheel. Costco. Spin the flywheel. Yeah. Spin, spin the flywheel. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Well, Carl Boutet, we had a special guest join us. Thank you, Sylvain, for popping in. We've got a lot. Beautiful place you have here, Sylvain. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank for, you. Uh, yes, well, actually, Michael, book. work on the decoration. Well, yeah. next time I'd like it to be in Tampa, though. Would be would be nicer by this sea. We can see next time. Next time. Next time. Absolutely. And Carl, you're going to be in London. Uh, last words. You're you're off to uh, a little yeah. European travel. Yeah. Next week is the Retail Technology Show in London. So I'm actually speaking on the Tuesday about the opportunity, the underused opportunity, uh, Dr. Shalabwa, to leverage academics to work mm. in, in, in the retail mm. sector, which is something that, especially with my, my work since with McGill, I've come to really appreciate. You're the, well, you're well positioned the, to the, talk about the that. depth uh, uh, that that can that that can bring, and I think is, is more and more necessary. And the second day, we'll talk about supply chain issues, which <laughs> will uh, uh, part of a panel. So that's the retail technology show next week at the Olympia, which is the first time I'm going to that venue, which I'm excited mm. about. And oh, very nice. So a lot of yeah, nice to be back on on the road. Hopefully everything goes smoothly, and then June. Back in Bangkok, teaching at the Asian Institute of Technology. You were in the UK last year, weren't you? Uh, two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah, okay. yeah. Time so, so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, uh, so nice to be back out. And but thank you for the invitation. Thank yeah. you for uh, oh. the, the food professor is uh, <laughs> for getting in us out hands. here. Who's on my TV seems like every other day, but that's uh, <laughs> it's nice to see him for real. Uh, safe travels uh, as you uh, as you make your way around and, and back to Canada. And thanks so much for joining me on the Voice of Retail podcast, Sylvain. Thanks for being the special. Pop-in guest, too. My pleasure. Literally. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this special episode of The Voice of Retail. If you haven't already, be sure and click and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so new episodes will land automatically twice a week. And check out my other retail industry media properties, The Remarkable Retail Podcast, Conversations with Commerce Next Podcast, and The Food Professor Podcast with Dr. Sylvain Charlebois. Last but not least, if you're into barbecue, check out my all-new YouTube barbecue show, Last Request Barbecue, with new episodes each and every week. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc, president of Emmy LeBlanc Company and Maven Media. And if you're looking for more content or want to chat, follow me on LinkedIn or visit my website at emmyleblanc.co. Have a safe week, everyone. Thank you.